Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. This is the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining me is Bill Wagner. Chris Cervello is our producer on leave this week is Ward Carroll. Hey, we've got a great podcast for you this week. We're going to be talking to the 89th Commandant of Midshipman, J.P. McDonough. We're also going to be talking to Mike Heary as part of our bi-weekly Navy basketball breakdown series. And what a lot of good W's to break down. Um, and before we get into anything else. It was a successful week, um, both on and off the athletic field, starting with the MLS draft, our big six foot eight inch center back from Porter Ranch, California. Matt Nosita was drafted by the New York Red Bulls. I guess they don't call them the New York, New Jersey Red Bulls anymore. They're just the New York Red Bulls. He is now the highest drafted player in program history. Um, the Red Bulls originally held the 15th overall selection, traded up to get Nocito, which kind of tells you how good he was viewed or how, how he was evaluated by MLS, that teams are, are trading up to draft him. Huge, huge event here. And now the next question, Bill Wagner, is whether he will be able to play for the New York Red Bulls. Um, we know that the Cameron Kinley situation kind of turned into a bit of a debacle. Uh, going back and forth as to whether he'd be allowed to do it. We can postulate here what the Secretary of the Navy will do, and it's not for Matt Nacita or um, Navy Soccer to comment on that. I know that they know what the process is, and they're going to follow the process. But, damn, what a cool thing for our program, huh, Wags? Absolutely, John. And I have to tell you, I was taken aback. I did not quite realize, and I'm not a soccer head. Um, I've covered the sport, but I'm not way into soccer to the point that I know the entire landscape of college soccer and who's out there available for the draft. But I have to say, I was taken aback when I realized that Matt Nacita was that highly regarded in the entire landscape of college soccer. I mean, you think about it, the Patriot League is not among the powerhouse conferences in collegiate soccer and uh, the fact that Navy has one of the top seven players eligible for the draft is frankly amazing. It's, it's spectacular. It's great for the program. Coach O'Donohue was so proud. I mean, what a moment. Uh, I mean, we all found this out when Navy sent out a press release announcing that Matt would be, uh, had been invited to participate in the virtual draft. In other words, the Major League Soccer knew he was such a highly regarded prospect that they wanted him to be one of the people available to do interviews, and they wanted to show him on camera after he was announced as a draft pick. And sure enough, the Red Bulls general manager made the pick on live feed, and they went to 
the Hall of Honor, which is really the lobby of the Glenn Warner soccer facility. And Matt Nassit is there with his teammate, Travis Fanning, the goalie. And they grab the Red Bulls hat and scarf and hand it to him. He puts them on. And this is all being recorded and shown live as part of the MLS Super Draft pro, you know, production and, and telecast. It's really, really cool. Huge for Navy soccer. And the Red Bulls, they traded up twice to get Noceda. They had to go up to something like 14 first. And then they packaged that pick and got up to seven to guarantee that they draft Matt Noceda. But it's when you really start to look at it, though, I mean, he's like a unicorn. <laughs> he's a six foot eight center back. And talking to Coach O'Donoghue, uh, he went to a very highly uh, uh, competitive showcase event. He was one of only 44 collegiate players invited to this showcase event. So, and he performed well there. They do all, it's a combine of sorts. They do individual testing. They do some group drills and then they actually play a few matches. And Matt shined in that environment against all the other great players in college soccer and showed that he was A grade legit. Uh, so, Ness, now we move on to is he going to be allowed to play? Well, first of all, for those who are unaware, Major League Soccer is about to begin its season. Um, they are going to have preseason practice beginning here in a matter of weeks. And the regular season, I believe, begins in February. Uh, Matt Nosita will not be playing soccer for the New York Red Bulls, obviously, until at least June because he's got to graduate from the Naval Academy. He's, gonna, he's not leaving school, so he's going to finish out the spring semester. He's going to graduate, and the question is, Will he commission? Because as we know, the current Department of Defense policy is that if Matt Nosita receives permission to play professional soccer with the New York Red Bulls, he will not commission as an officer at this time. He will proceed with his pro career. And if and when that career ends, he would then commission as an officer and begin his five-year military commitment, which I will just Again, editorialize that I agree with this policy. That nobody's getting out of their commitment, their military commitment. They're just being allowed to pursue their pro sport while they're still in their prime, while they still are wanted by pro franchises. And, you know, we all know that pro careers don't last a long time. And John mentioned he's the second Naval Academy player ever selected in the MLS Super Draft. Joseph Greenspan was the other. And Joseph Greenspan kind of had a back and forth career where he served, then he played, and then eventually he was uh, given early release to full-time play pro soccer. But you know what? Joe Greenspan is already out of pro soccer. He's retired. It's not a lengthy career in soccer just as it is with football or any other sport. So I'm hopeful that Matt Nosita gets the green light to pursue this opportunity with the Red Bulls. Uh, it would be so cool to be watching MLS and see a Navy guy out there, you know, on set plays using his six foot eight height to head the ball into the net. And, uh, you know, this is a big tester because Diego Fago is coming up NFL draft. 
So it's going to be two Navy athletes who are testing the waters as to whether the Secretary of the Navy is going to forward their request to play pro sports to the Department, to the Secretary of Defense. Um, I will tell you right now, John, there is an Army graduate, I believe he's a 2020 Army graduate, playing for Portland Timbers in MLS. So there is a current service academy graduate playing Major League Soccer, and uh, I would be disappointed if this great Navy player who's a seventh overall pick in the MLS Super Draft is not allowed to play. So we will see, John. We'll be following that closely. Yeah, well, this is me putting on my old PAO hat as if I'm advising the leadership of the Navy from the Pentagon, and it's this. Be mindful of how popular MLS is becoming. Be mindful. Uh, this is never going to be the English Premier League. It's never going to be La Liga. Um, you know, it, it's certainly never going to be Syria. Uh, it, it, it is MLS is the little brother that, you know, that is usually getting the older players who are done playing for Barca, who are done playing for Inter Milan, who are done playing for Manchester United and want to squeeze two to three more years of playing time out of it. Um, it's graduating a lot from that. You know, the ownership team of David Beckham in Miami, um, you know, the popularity of the league, the stadiums that are being built, the popularity of soccer, just ask Chris Cervello and, and his wonderkind, Ava Cervello, um, who was a hell of a soccer player in her own right. Soccer is popular. And we need to understand that this is a great opportunity for this young man to be a leader on the pitch. Uh, and eventually pay back his commitment. Um, but like, again, I was watching the draft just because I'm, I'm a huge soccer fan and, you know, Maryland soccer is sort of like Duke basketball and that like they're sending dudes to the pros every single year. Uh, ben Bender, um, he was a fantastic midfielder for Maryland, went number one, but then I was just shocked when I heard Osita go at seven. Uh, it's just so cool. Um, speaking of really cool things affecting non-winter sports, um, what a great recruiting coup for Joe Amplo this week. Um, you know, a, a recruiting move that might actually pay off this coming season with the number five overall recruit. Um, who is that, you ask? Well, his name is Xavier Arline. Um, you know him better from uh, his time as the quarterback on the football team, but as Wags broke this week in the Capital Gazette, Xavier is now cashing in on his status as a previous number five overall recruit um, and will be suiting up for Joe Amplo's boys here in the coming season. Wags, give us a, a tad more on that. Well, it's huge news, John. I mean, Xavier Arline is an incredible lacrosse player. Uh, you're talking about the number five overall recruit in the class of 2020 as rated by Inside Lacrosse. That, that's big time. I mean, this guy was recruited by every major program in the country. All the top 10 teams, Syracuse, Carolina, Maryland, Virginia, you name it. He could have gone anywhere he wanted for lacrosse. And in fact, he was on his way to doing so. He was committed to North Carolina, which is, you know, past and recent multi national champion, multi-time national champion. I mean, Carolina, big-time lacrosse. And Xavier Arline was one of their top recruits. He's an attackman. Uh, he, in high school at Shoreham, Shoreham Wading River, and also with Team 91, which is a major 
big time club team out of the Long Island area. He's in, he played behind the net as what they call the X attackman kind of fitting that X plays the X, but what his calling card is, and I would, you know, Navy football fans are not going to be surprised because they've seen him play football, but in lacrosse, particularly you it's he you can't stay in front of him he is extremely hard to defend one-on-one he goes by close defensemen like they're standing still and in lacrosse you always want a big time dangerous dodger who can break down defenses force slides get the defense rotating and that's when guys get open shots so that's the type of player we're talking about a very dynamic offensive player. Now, he has not played lacrosse in two and a half years. I mean, his last lacrosse game was with Shoreham Wading River as a high school senior. He then showed up at the Naval Academy for plebe summer, and he's been playing football ever since. So there's going to be a little rust. He's got to get the stick skills back. Uh, As you know, the last time we saw Xavier Arline was in the Army-Navy game, and on the third play of the game, he gained 10 yards on a quarterback keeper, and he pulled his hamstring. He is still recovering from the hammy injury, and so I don't know for sure when he's going to be full go for practicing with the Navy men's lacrosse team. But it is very, very exciting news. I mean, he is the most highly rated player on the Navy lacrosse team. There's not one single player on the entire roster that was more highly rated coming out of high school than Xavier Arline. We're talking about a guy who's a potential All-American. So, uh, and I have no doubt that he can regain the skills and the talent and ability that made him such a highly regarded recruit. Those skills are there. If anything, Xavier Arline's probably a way better athlete now than he was coming out of high school because for football, he is bulked up. I mean, you all, everybody in Navy fans have seen the transformation of his body from plebe year to sophomore year. He's a lot thicker, a lot stronger, and that's going to make him a better lacrosse player. So, I mean, it's huge news. I mean, all the lacrosse outlets, Inside Lacrosse, Lacrosse Magazine, jumped on this story because it's within the little world of lacrosse. This is pretty big news. Now we should tell the fans that are listening, this does not mean that Xavier Arline's no longer playing football. He intends to play both. And John, what I think this is, is a byproduct of the fact that Xavier's not the starting quarterback anymore. If Xavier Arline had closed out the 2021 season as Navy's starting quarterback, he would not be playing lacrosse. He would be focused on spring football and getting better and maintaining his hold on the starting quarterback job. But he's not. He's the backup. Ty Lavatai has solidified himself as the starting quarterback, and that changes things. I mean, Xavier, I believe, will participate in spring practice to some level. I talked to Coach Joe Amplo today, and they – the, the the lacrosse coaching staff is amenable to that. You know, if, if football says we need Xavier for a few practices so we can see what he can do, and and I'm sure he's going to continue to attend meetings and film study and other things with football. He, he is now a two-sport athlete 
at the Naval Academy. He is a football player and he is a lacrosse player. I'm excited to see what he can do in this 2022 season. I cannot wait for the first time that number 24 turns the corner on the cage uh, to uh, sh for a shot on goal. Uh, it's going to be exciting, John. Well, you, I mean, you'll remember the details, and, and I'm sure Scott Strassmeyer has this. But, you know, the second I saw this story today, I was like, oh, God, I could hear my dad in my ear talking about the glory days of Maryland lacrosse and how every year they played Navy. It was so tough because half of Navy's team on the lacrosse pitch, uh, you know, played football in the fall. And so guys like, you know, Henderson and Donnelly and, you know, a bunch of these other dudes and Carl Tamulevich walked us through a little bit of that last season, but they were like, established awesome football players and now they're out there on the lacrosse field just taking it to you I can't remember the last time I think this is the only time right that that Kenny is allowed one of the football players to participate in another sport or am, or am I wrong that could well be true during his head coaching tenure my mind immediately goes back to the last time a Navy quarterback was another played another sport and it was Craig Candido Craig Candido played varsity baseball. He was actually a starting outfielder for the baseball team. And I remember distinctly that Candido would participate in spring football and also play baseball. He kind of did it simultaneously. But, no, I cannot think of Coach Niamatololo during his head coaching tenure having another uh, two-sport athlete that played another sport. I can't think of that. Now, it is not unprecedented in more recent history that Navy football players became lacrosse players. I can think back to Jamie Doffemeyer, who was a four-year member of the varsity football program, and his senior year, he returned to lacrosse and played pretty doggone well for the men's lacrosse team. He was a very good high school player at Arundel high school here in Anne Arundel County. So Doffemeyer comes to mind. Brandon Looney, uh, God rest his soul, one of the, you know, all-time greats of Navy lacrosse and an all-time great Naval Academy graduate. Brandon Looney was recruited to Navy as a football player and initially played football at Navy and then transitioned to playing lacrosse and obviously was a member of that great Navy lacrosse team that advanced to the national championship game against Syracuse. And then more recently, Ford Higgins, the starting center for football, you may recall, he gave lacrosse a go. He had been a really good attackman down in Atlanta coming up. And uh, Ford Higgins decided to play lacrosse as a senior. So it's not unheard of. But yes, that this is a rarity for a current member of the football program. And he is a key member. I mean, we're talking about your backup quarterback in a triple option system. Xavier Arline is still an absolute crucial key component of the football program. So this is a major concession by coach Ken Niamatololo to allow Xavier to pursue lacrosse during the spring. Um, and, and it was interesting in my story that Xavier went and met with coach Niamatololo to kind of hash this out and seek his permission and after doing so, Kenya Matalolo walked Xavier over to the lacrosse office and basically, literally, figuratively 
handed him off to the lacrosse staff and said, you have my blessing. So that's pretty cool, John. Yeah, that's a cool element of the story. And I can totally see uh, Nehemiah doing that. Um, so, yeah, a couple of big events uh, this week. Off season, no off season. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it, it was a really cool thing uh, to see Nosita get drafted. And now we can look forward to seeing Xavier Arline uh, out on the lacrosse field. And as we talk to Joe Amplo uh, in the coming weeks as part of the lacrosse preview, we can ask him a little bit more about that. So um, great intro, great conversation. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to have the Commandant of Midshipman, J.P. McDonough. After that, we're going to talk to Mike Heary. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. The Sing Second Sports podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dry 85 and Red Red Wine Bar in Annapolis. Whether it's the burger of the day in an old-fashioned or a Cabernet and their Cuban sandwich, which is my favorite, be sure to check out both locations when you come to town to catch a basketball game or lacrosse game here this winter and fall. That's Dry 85 and Red Red Wine Bar on Main Street in Annapolis. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Excited to bring you the next feature in this week's podcast, and that is an interview with the Commandant of Midshipmen. J.P. McDonough is a member of the great class of 1994. He graduated with a degree in systems engineering and commissioned into the Marine Corps, reported to the Naval Academy at the very beginning um, of this past semester in the midst of COVID, in the midst of a great many other challenges, in addition to being the Commandant of Midshipmen. So number one, Colonel, thank you so much for making time for us today. And number two, from when you showed up until today, what's your tour been like? What's it like to be the Commandant of Midshipmen? Sure. Thanks for having me. Well, I'll say there are many days that I pinch myself and say, I can't believe I'm, I'm in this job, right? Like as a midshipman, you know, going back to the early 90s, if you would have said I'd be the Commandant of Midshipmen, I, me and probably many of my friends would have laughed. Uh, it's been good, right? It, any job that's worth doing is always a challenge. You know, the on I day swearing in the class of 25 was just truly, you know, amazing, you know, all the mids, all the parents, and it it was awesome. And, you know, it, we have been getting back to normal and and overcoming the things through COVID and it's, it's been great. I, every day I get to, you know, opportunity to work and talk to mids. It's really rewarding, right? Because, there's a lot of things that we all do in our jobs that, that it's literally work, right? This is hard, but every time I talk to a mid and I'm reinvigorated, I remember why I'm here, you know? So it, it's been great. This has been truly a, a great job. Like I said, it's work, it's hard, but you know, I, when I go to a football game, I'm working. I, I don't know. It's, it's a great, <laughs> if, if you tell me this work, then this is great work. What can you tell the listeners, the alumnus, uh, the parents who listen to the pod, what is the plan going forward for the second semester here, which just began? Uh, you know, what you know, when midshipmen or when parents hear the words ROM, it immediately PTSDs them. But how is it going to go? What plan do you have in place knowing, as always, that you have the health and welfare of the midshipmen first and foremost? What can you say about how you're going to handle the next semester? Yeah, let, let me let me take a step back to the beginning of December, you know, so so really army navy game right we all go up there great game probably the best one of the best experiences i've had you know especially being in the early 90s when we only won once it was great to win the first one as a commandant of midshipmen so that was awesome um but but 
right as we were getting back and the Miz were getting ready for finals, we were starting to hear about Omicron and, and things going on. I'll say through the, my entire time here, the highest number of COVID positive cases we had at one time was five, right? Not somewhere around five. And all of a sudden the numbers are, are spiking and they're spiking quickly. We had no, and I could also say we had no spread within the brigade, zero. All of our cases that we had over the first you know, semester were all isolated cases. And that all of a sudden changed dramatically, right? If your roommate got COVID, you got COVID. And so like, something has changed. Something has changed dramatically. So we went, so we are, our sole emphasis on that time was how do we preserve finals? How do we preserve winter leave, right? Because uh, the brigade had been working hard. And we were like, how do we do this? And you, and at about the same time, you heard of other schools that were literally canceling finals. Like, hey, just go home and don't come back till next year. So we put into, a, you know, the policies in place to make sure we were able to get through finals, you know, and, and our, isolate, our ability to isolate right now, we have one deck where we have isolation and we maxed that. We were like right at the bitter end and we like the last day of finals, like we, were, we, we got through where we needed to. So over the last couple, you know, the week of holidays, you know, we are talking about how, what is the plan to be able to start the year as regular as possible, get everybody boosted and then get back to normal. Those were really the criteria. So, so when we brought everyone back, one, we highly encourage, you know, we made everybody get tested. We highly encourage everyone who hadn't been boosted yet to get boosted when they went back, you know, because the science will show you that it's as effect, it's effective. Is it as effective as, you know, the, against the Delta variant? No, but it is, is effective, especially our goal of getting herd immunity. So we brought everyone back. We had everyone tested. Um, we went through, and, and I'll, I'll say this, and the mids all know this, we're already out of hard round. We were only in hard round for the weekend, and we came out Monday or Tuesday morning, and we're now in the period of time where we're, we're at a, you know, kind of a medium posture. We're doing virtual class this week, and we have our big booster shot X on Friday. Um, I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable just from talking to mids and the numbers where we're at between people who are boosted who are going to get boosted and those who are already COVID positive that we're going to be to the area where we need to be by this Friday for herd immunity. So I would say, you know, obviously the booster is not magic. It takes some time to, to, to take effect. You know, I see us back to where we, we were the first semester, you know, probably within a week or maybe a little longer than that. So my goal, the superintendent's guidance is do those things we need to, to get us back to normal in-person classes, you know, going to sporting events, all those things as soon as possible. So that's been my mission all along. And, and you know, the mids understand that, I, you know, I communicate and I talk to them every day about this, you know, a little bit of pain, but to get us back to where we need to be. And I think everyone sees that. Totally. Wax? Good to see you, Commandant, and thanks for joining us. The Sing Second Sports Podcast focuses on the physical mission of the Naval Academy. We talk about all the intercollegiate sports, but we also talk about club sports. But that's the focus of this podcast, the physical mission of the Naval Academy. What is your role? What is your job as far as promoting and administering the physical mission of the Naval Academy? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I appreciate that. So, you know, when I look at what my job is as a commandant of midshipman, 
you know, you could say the three areas, the moral, mental, and physical. I'm, I'm focused on the moral, but I, but I can tell you I'm, I'm focused on graduating a, a midshipman, whether a second lieutenant or an instant, who's ready to lead sailors and Marines from day one. And, and when I look at what does that mean, it means that I'm I'm ready in all mission areas. And the physical mission is just as important as, as all the other mission areas. So, so I am a one hundred percent advocate of, of the D one athletes of all, you know, the, almost a third of the brigade that's, that com- that competes in NCAA sports, but I'm also making sure that every single midshipman one meets the standards, but also has that idea of lifelong fitness and they're ready to lead from the front. In fact, I just provided guidance uh, on training to the brigade Hey, if you're out there, if you're an upperclassman, you're out there training plebes and you're out there doing PT on a Saturday morning or even on a, a you know, a weekday morning, we lead from the front. Upperclassmen are down there. You're doing pushups. You're doing the, you know, the bear crawl, whatever they're doing. You're doing the same thing. So my, in my world, you know, and, and part of it is being a Marine, that physical aspect leading from the front is absolutely key. And, you know, as far as support of the club and the varsity teams, you know, I, I'm their biggest advocate. I know that you can learn leadership, whether it's on the sports field, in the classroom, or anywhere else. So that leadership that the midshipmen learn, being part of an organized sport, is absolutely is essential and, and does, as we know, make them good leaders. So those of us who didn't attend the Naval Academy, like our producer, Chris Savello, who you know was a Naval Academy graduate, or work, work at the Naval Academy like John Schofield as a commander, uh, I don't know that the lay person understands the difference between the superintendent and the commandant. They see that these are the top two leadership positions at the Naval Academy. They know the soup is in charge, but how do you you differentiate what the job of the commandant of midshipmen is and how do you and the soup stay in your own lane and not cross over into each other's areas? Sure, good question. So for in a civilian college, I would be the dean of students. Um, however, I would say I do a, a little more. I'm definitely more involved in the dean of students. I mean, as, as most people know, and, and even folks who've been on the yard, Bancroft Hall, all the midshipmen live in that one hall. My office is in Bancroft Hall. I, all the battalion officers and the company officers and senior enlisted leaders, though they all work for me. So I, I am responsible for the day-to-day lives of the midshipmen. And I mentioned I'm, that more element, the leadership aspect is my specific post, focus area. I would like to say that I'm the, the down and in focused on the midshipmen specifically where the superintendent has the larger mission set, but he's also the up and out uh, dealing you know, with our inner relation with Congress, relationship with the CNO, the secretary. Um, so, that, so that's kind of been the, the division. Obviously, I support the soup and all of his activities, but I'm more focused very specifically on the brigade of midshipmen. And again, what are those things, making sure they have those attributes that we're looking for when they graduate? Well, it seems to me, and again, this is looking from it from afar, and I haven't really dialed down into it, but it seems as though the commandant of the midshipmen is almost always a Marine Corps officer. Is there a reason for that? Is that part of the billet? Do you have to be a Marine Corps officer to be the commandant of midshipmen? So so actually, and so there are a couple pieces about Marines on the yard. So when I was here only... Uh, like one sixth of the graduates were Marines. So it was a smaller percentage right now, 25% of every graduate of the graduates of each class are Marines. So we have Marine presence on the yard back in the early 90s, you know, for the longest time, there was, there's always been, there's been Marines on the yard. Um, but actually there's only been three Marine commandants and midshipmen, General Allen, who retired four-star general, 
uh, now Major General Select Lazuski, and then myself. So actually, of the 89, I'm the 89th Commandant, there's only been three Marines. But at you, as you mentioned, there are Marines on, there's always been Marines on the yard, and uh, they have a large leadership presence through whether it's instruction, uh, company officers, you know, you'll see Marines all over the yard. So, well, so I stand corrected. So in that regard, you must be very proud for your branch of the service that you're, you know, become part of exclusive company. And I guess you're hopeful that more Marines will follow the suit and serve in this capacity. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's leadership opportunities all over the yard, you know, whether for Navy or Marine Corps. And I, and I, I think, you know, if we take a step back and look at the bigger picture that the Navy and the Marine Corps team, the blue green team, as we call it, are going towards, you know, you, Marines talk about naval integration, getting back to our naval roots. So I think as much as possible that we see Navy and Marine Corps working together. And if that's if I'm a midshipman, I look and I see, OK, one of my instructors is Navy, one's a Marine. When I get to the fleet, I'm going to have that same level of naval integration. So, you know, the last 20 years of war, the Marine Corps was off fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, we were very, we were very much ground focused. We are focused. We are back, pivot back to our naval roots. So I, I think having you know Marines here on the yard is what we should expect both our future ensigns and second lieutenants to see that team. So so it's goodness. I agree. We need to continue to make that relationship. As I let you go, sir, what what sport did you play uh, when when you were a midshipman? Yeah. So so I grew up wrestling. I, I mean, I'm a I'm a small guy. I, I be to be blunt, I wasn't good enough to wrestle here. Plebe summer, I went and wrestled and with the team, and I, I quickly realized that my probability of ever actually wrestling in a match for Navy was pretty low. But my probability of getting the crap kicked out of me was very high, and and I realized that it probably wasn't in my best interest. So I became an intramural warrior. You know, I, I played soccer. I don't think we had ultimate frisbee. I played soccer. I played field ball in the spring, which was always fun. And I still, to this day, remember uh, Mike Davis, big lineman class, 92, future Marine. He was in my company. I still remember we would get out there after, you know, spring season, all the football players, seniors who were done playing football would get out there. And I just remember I would be running for my life for some massive dude trying to crush me. And I got one time I got hit and the guy, I don't remember who it was, came across and, and we, like hit leg to leg. And my, my shin swole, uh, it like was huge. I'm like, oh, I think I just broke my leg. Turned out I like broke all the blood vessels in my leg and it was like purple for two weeks. But uh, yeah, so I played field ball. I was an intramural warrior. Um, I have four sons. They all wrestle. One of my oldest wrestling in college. So, so wrestling is like the sport that, you know, that, that, I, that I look to. But I can tell you, I've had all the sports here. I've gone out with women's hockey, volleyball, traveled the football team. You know, I'm impressed the, you know, as a non-athlete, I'm impressed with the amount of time that, that all of our athletes spend to, to on that, as well as maintain all the other aspects of the Naval Academy. So, so I, I am a, that'll a be the, warrior. Uh, that'll be the headline that we leaked to NavySports.com is new commandant says he can kick Kerry Colat's ass. <laughs> um, so um, last one, last one from me, sir. Yeah, the, Wags asked about it, and, and I want to dig into it one last time with you. We ask everyone this, but somewhere in there, that intramural warrior, that field ball guy, that guy trying to run for his life from Big Mike, uh, who's been a guest on this podcast as well. I think he still does that to a degree to guard the lily pad in the, uh, in the stadium. But, you know, what, what have you drawn 
um, from your experience in the physical mission in order to make it to this level? Yeah, this is an elite level for you. I've had the I've had the pleasure of being yelled at by both of those aforementioned uh, <laughs> Marine, uh, Marine Corps commandants. This is a very special job for you, and I know that you relied on the physical mission in some way to get there. How, how is that, and and how does it still play a role in the success of your life? Yeah, so so what I'll say to that is there is no doubt for me personally that being in shape, being and physically challenging myself gives me confidence, allows me to do all all the things I do. I started doing triathlons when I was actually a major in Monterey out at MPS. And I just, I, I signed up for a half marathon and I signed up for a, uh, for a Olympic distance triathlon there in Pacific road and hadn't. And what that caused me to do was to start to train. And it was, you know, you put your, put something out, a challenge out there swimming a mile in the open ocean in Monterey Bay was a challenge that I did not know that I could do. And, and I've used that over, you know, the, the 15 years since then uh, to continue to challenge myself. I completed an Ironman in Chattanooga in 2015. Um, I, I was, again, was in a school environment, so I had the opportunity to, tr to train, you know. And, and when you set yourself a goal that's maybe just beyond what you think you can do, it's amazing what, you, what you'll do and having the discipline to train and do all those things. So, you know, I still compete and compete. I still finish triathlons at this point and I have fun doing them, but I also know that it's physically challenging. I know if I can push myself through something, you know, that's truly demanding that then I can get through a lot of things. And it also, to me, it helps the stress of the job, the stress of family, all that. I can go out for a long run. I can jump on my bike. Uh, I can do great things. And the other thing is my training partner is my wife. She's a, she's a good runner. We do triathlons together you know, and, and that healthy lifestyle is just something that we have together. So, so I, I can't, you know, I can't imagine my life without being involved in athletics. And for me, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's swimming, biking, running, but I still love getting on the mat, wrestling mat with my sons. And it's something that, you know, though, that, that your experience with sports translates into everything you do with life. So I, I'm a huge advocate for it. And I think it's something you should do for your whole life without a doubt. Well, if we don't bring the uh, St. John's and uh, Naval Academy croquet match back in the spring, I'm going to advocate <laughs> for a like UFC like steel cage death match with you, Coach Colat and Jay <laughs> Antonelli. Um, my my money might be on Antonelli. I think he fights dirtier. So, sir, <laughs> in all seriousness, thank you so much for making the time today. I know you got to run to a meeting, so we'll let you go. Uh, but we can't wait to have you back on. And good luck with the Booster Fest on Friday. Thanks. I appreciate it. Talk to y'all later. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was the Commandant of Midshipman, JP McDonough. We are going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to bring in Mike Heary for the basketball breakdown segment. This is Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our fall and winter sponsors, Dry 85 and Red Bread Wine Bar in Annapolis and Academy Consulting. Thank you for your support. It's through their generosity that we're able to bring you Sing Second Sports each and every week. If you're interested in being a sponsor, drop us a DM. We'd love to hear from you. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for our bi-weekly Navy basketball breakdown segment with color commentator on the Navy basketball network, Mike Heary. Um, Mike, number one, thank you so much for coming back on to the podcast. Number two, 
you know, before we jump into how good Navy basketball has been, what's your prediction for uh, for the Bills in the playoffs? Oh, that that might be a whole segment in of itself, John. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I'm very nervous, needless to say, when you split and your only loss to the Patriots is at home in a windy, cold Monday night game. I uh, have to say I'm a little nervous about this one. I feel like the Bills could either lose Saturday night um, or make it to the Super Bowl. They're like a team that can either go in like extreme directions. But uh, a, it's exciting to be relevant, and uh, it's great to be in the playoffs for another year in a row and win the AFC East two years in a row. And the memories of when uh, Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Bruce Smith were there when I was growing up come flooding back. So it's a, it's a fun time to be a Bills fan. Oh, fun time to be a Bills fan and a Navy basketball fan. And since we last talked to you, the Patriot League season begun and um, we've done all right. Uh, went up to Holy <laughs> Cross and won by 14. Came back. We were sitting right next to each other against a very athletic BU team. Uh, who you talked about, uh, you know, as we were discussing it before the game, is going to be Navy's biggest competition in the Patriot League. Beat them by 12, then played Bucknell at home and won by 18 on the heels of a huge 19-0 run. And then just up at Lafayette in front of tens and tens of people, um, <laughs> you know, filling the arena uh, one, you know, 69 to 55 against, you know, a fairly good Lafayette team that had to play Duke earlier this year. So walk us through these last four games and what the prevailing trends have been that have led to a W in the, in the column there and sitting at number one in the Patriot league. Yep. Yeah, you know, John, it's been a great start. Obviously you can't from a record standpoint, start any better. And I, I think this team just continues to get better each week. And that'll be a common theme here in January and February. Uh, I, I know it's something that, you know, we like to say a lot with the Patriot League schedule of two games a week. You know, you got to win the week. And, and Navy's done that so far. Um, you know, the games you talked about, I think the common denominator has been the depth and experience of this group continues to come through. Uh, you know, Greg Summers missed the Bucknell game and the BU game and the Lafayette game. So, you know, hopefully he'll be back on Thursday tomorrow for the uh, Colgate game at home, which will be a big one. We continue to have different guys kind of pop their head up and play great. Uh, recently, Daniel Deaver, you know, has really shined. Uh, Jalen Walker did in the Holy Cross game. Tyler Nelson did in the BU game. We've had just, you know, Patrick Dorsey's now back. I think hopefully either at the Colgate game or next week with Greg Summers coming back, we might finally have the full complement of this roster, which is incredible to comprehend that they've been able to win the way they've won and not have everybody um, playing. Yeah. At this point, you know, if you had have told me in the last three games that Cam Summers was going to outscore Greg Summers two to nothing, <laughs> I would have, I would have told you you were insane. Um, but it was an embarrassment of riches against Bucknell to get him some PT. Um, obviously, Greg has been hurt and hopefully will come back, as you said, tomorrow night against Colgate. But damn, like at this point, Mike, I, it's not outside of the scope of conversation to say that there are two viable starting fives on this team. And everyone loves to talk about the depth 
um, of Navy basketball, including the absolute amateur hour Lafayette crew that did the ESPN Plus coverage uh, who couldn't tell Patrick Dorsey and Tyler Nelson apart 20 times. But like everyone knows about the depth. And, and now if Greg Summers comes back here tomorrow night, you do have two starting fives. No, you do, um, John. And I think what you're starting to see is lineup combinations start to show up. So over the last few weeks, uh, Navy's played Tyler Nelson and Jalen Walker together for a lot of minutes. Well, that's a heck of a lot of length and athleticism on the floor. But then you can, you know, now that Patrick Dorsey's starting to get into the mix, you know, you can roll him into certain rotations. Uh, Austin Inge, I forgot to mention him. I mean, he comes off of an injury and has an amazing game against Boston University defending McCoy so well for 40 minutes. He is getting he's better. very much of Vinnie Johnson microwave. That's, that's what he <laughs> is. That's, those are the small things Austin Inge does. Exactly. But he, you know, might be a much better defender than the microwave. So, you know, that's the thing. He just locks in on the opposing point guard so well. So this team combination wise can do a lot of different things. And I think one of the things, and I touched on this with uh, coach Emmett Davis after uh, the Bucknell game is I think off of missed shots and turnovers, we can be more aggressive in scoring out of our defense. I think we're underestimating what we could do in transition. And, you know, sometimes I think coaches, particularly maybe Ed, Ed is thinking to himself, well, gosh, you know, I don't want us to get, think we're UNLV of the early 90s and can go up and down with any team. But we're athletic enough and deep enough and experienced enough where I think missed shots, turnovers, we've got to get out and create offense out of that. And I think that will slowly come. And now you have this capability of win, winning in so many different ways, which is so very exciting. Wax? Well, I agree with you 100%. I think we are going to see a little more of that running defense to offense, especially when Summers gets back and you've got all of your Greyhounds ready. With You know, you think you could go up the floor with John Carter, Greg Summers, Tyler Nelson, Jalen Walker, and Dorsey or something, or Christian. I mean, that's – a. You can put a lot of speed on the floor, speed and athleticism, and I agree 100%. Create turnovers, get the ball off the backboard, push it ahead, and let's get some easy baskets. Uh, I am writing about the depth of the Navy basketball team because that is a hot topic at the moment. They just outscored Lafayette 21-7 to in terms of bench points. That's been a consistent theme. I believe in the Bucknell game, Navy got 25 bench points. Um, I've been talking to some of the reserves, Christian Silva and Jalen Walker, and they feel as though their five is every bit as strong. In fact, Coach DeCellis uses a different term. He doesn't talk about first string, second string, starting unit, backup unit. He says first wave, second wave. We're sending a second wave at you. And, you know, it really works out well. And one thing that Coach D said is part of why Navy's so deep this year, they they have they fit perfectly each position. Deaver's a five, he replaces uh, Richard and Joko. Uh, Jalen Walker's a four, he can replace Nelson. You mentioned they both play together at times, which is a unique element. Silva's a two, he can go in there and replace, you know, the, 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 the wing guard, uh, which has been, um, Sean Yoder has been starting. Uh, and then obviously, 
You know, you got Dorsey now back, and he can play the wing and replace John Carter on the other wing. How important is that, in your opinion, Mike, to have such a strong second five? It's critical, Bill, because we're going to start with every win. You get into this uncharted waters for this program, which is this complacency. You never thought you'd say that about Navy basketball, but as I see the league and, I, and you think about how well, we're not even talking about how elite I believe this team defends and rebounds unlike any team in the Patriot League. So if that's their staple, to your point, what, we, what you start to think about with this team is, you know, you don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. The only way this team loses is if all of those pieces that you just talked about are off on one night. Now with a team with this kind of depth and interchangeable parts and the ability to have different matchups, that's such a huge benefit because there's going to be nights where John Carter doesn't make shots. And when he doesn't, they've got enough other guys to step up and play and score and lead the team from a scoring perspective at 18 to 20 points. Tyler Nelson proved it. Daniel Deaver proved it. So I, I'm with you 100%. The, 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 the ability to have and trust different players in different positions and different lineups and this second wave, as Coach is calling it, I think it's awesome. You know, everyone has bought into that. And I think another thing you notice, Bucknell was a good example of this, I think. In, in that game, if you recall, they didn't get off to the fastest of starts. First 10 minutes, they weren't rebounding well. They weren't moving the ball and sharing the ball like they can offensively. No panic, though, from this group. They just, you know, another, another media timeout or a timeout by Coach D. You know, maybe he got into them a little bit here or there. But these guys are starting to self-police themselves moving forward. And that's a huge sign of a team that can win a championship. All these things we're talking about are the ingredients to, to being a championship-level team. And it's just, you know, a really exciting time to, to follow this program. Well, I think two other factors when you talk about that kind of depth. A, it keeps the starters on their toes. Daniel Deaver was starting for a while, and he wasn't producing, and yep. he, he lost his job. Richard Njoko is now starting. Uh, I don't think well, Patrick Dorsey looks at himself as a full-season backup. I think he's looking at how do I crack that starting lineup. That's where I belong. So you're, you're pushing the starters, and I don't know if you had this when you were at Navy, if Navy was that deep that the starters actually worried about their jobs. But the other thing is, Coach D mentioned in our conversation with him today, if a guy's not playing well, I'm pulling him. If I, if I see, you know, uh, uh, Sean Yoder break down on three defensive plays in a row and he gives up guys go driving past him, he's coming out. And I'm going to put Christian Silva in there and see what kind of defense he plays. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, so, you know, and that's a great point because you think about, look at the way Daniel Deaver played before the Lafayette game. He had two excellent games in a row, and if Richard wasn't playing well, you know, he went to Deaver, and Deaver produced. In this last game, Richard and Daniel combined for 16 points and five rebounds combined, and they each played about the same number of minutes. And, you know, to your point, we didn't have as deep a team as this group is from one to 10. Although we had, I think a collectively a tremendous culture of togetherness, which this team appears to have as well. What I think is important to note though, coach DeChellis talks about if this guy's not doing something, I'm pulling him. He's doing it though, from a place of I'm never coming back to you. 
it's I'm pulling you because I have the luxury of having guys that can play on different nights. And that's a big difference. Coach D is saying to Sean Yoder, I'm never not going to play again, or you got to work your butt off to get time again. Yeah, he might have to in practice. But the reality is, is he's got the ability with depth to bring different guys in if someone's having an off night and saying, okay, he had an off night tonight. The next night, he might not have an off night. And it's not from a place of you're buried on the bench, which can oftentimes happen in situations like this. So I think the, this whole conversation around depth and having that second wave and different guys stepping up on different nights is from a place of that's what makes us such a tough team to beat night in and night out. And I think that's what you're starting to see with this group. Last for me before I throw it back to John. Obviously, Coach D has been building this thing, building this thing. He's in his 11th year. And they won the Patriot League championship. That's really what's been missing. Navy has not captured the Patriot League championship and gone to the NCAA tournament during the Coach Tuchelis era. That's a missing, you know, element of his resume. He's done a great job. He's built a very solid program. Uh, Navy was picked third in the preseason poll um, behind Boston University and Colgate. Uh, they beat Boston University. That was a real statement victory. Got Colgate on Thursday. Colgate just blew out Army, which Army had been undefeated and was tied atop the Patriot League. We're still getting around to seeing everyone. We have not seen all the Patriot League teams. Army comes in here next two Saturdays from now. I think that's the 22nd is the date of that big Army-Navy showdown in Annapolis. But is this team capable of finally getting it done? finally went in a Patriot League championship going to the NCAA tournament. Absolutely, Bill. And, and what I think that this is a big game Thursday against Colgate, you know, it, they can play the card of chip on our shoulder. We're, you know, Colgate was picked ahead of us. So you'd like to think that this team will come out locked in to, to prove that we are for real. Um, and, and what we're doing this season is absolutely a continuation of last year we're at, we absolutely have all the pieces. I, I, I said this and it's like, it's, you can't be afraid to say this. And I think I've touched on this before, but a lot of things have to go wrong in a game for this team not to win. Cause I think about how they defend, how they rebound. And I think about all the different guys that can contribute in a 40 minute game. And you start to do the math and just say, okay, well, what would it take for a team to beat this group? And it would take, a pretty epic failure from a lot of different guys in one given night, right? And then a night maybe where they didn't defend at a high level, which seemingly we kind of at least do the de defending and rebounding part night in and night out. So what, what, what you see here, I think Army's a very good team and underrated because I think they play with a toughness that maybe some other teams don't. And I, I hope that both those teams continue to win Army and Navy in that game uh, on the 22nd next Saturday, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday is, is one where it could be for first place, which would be, might be a first in the history of the Patriot league. But this group has all the pieces. They just have to think about ways when you, when you win like this, you got to be your own critic. You got to think about ways to challenge yourself because you might not get it playing one of the other lower tier Patriot league teams right now. So I look at what are they doing to get better you know, scoring offense out of their defense, getting maybe more transition baskets, um, lineup 
changes, things like that. They've got to continue to challenge themselves to get better and, and find ways to be a diverse group on both ends of the floor. And then you're hoping to separate yourself seeding wise. So you have that number one seed going into the conference tournament. Well, Mike, before I let you go, a couple of quick ones from me. Um, Number one in your time uh, as doing color for Navy basketball is this the best uh, team on the defensive end you've seen? Uh, I think it is, um, John. I think that, you know, you go back to, there's two other teams, and I don't have the years right offhand, but I can tell you players, right? The Sean Anderson, Bryce Doolin group, I believe they won 20 games and got upset in the first round against Holy Cross when I think Holy Cross went on that run and got to the NCAA tournament. And then just a couple of years ago, you know, we won 17 or 18 games maybe t- as well. Obviously, last year, it, you almost have to throw out last year in some respects because of COVID and just all the challenges there. I think it's, it's the best defensive team, John, but without a doubt, I think it's the most complete team top to bottom. So that's the thing that I think is unique about this group, complete top to bottom, junior and senior driven at every position, and that's kind of what you need to be a successful mid-major program. Seriously. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Still, I, I was challenged more as a lieutenant playing in those lunchtime uh, pickup games than I was on any level of athletics in my life. But uh, I'll tell you what, it was hilarious, Mike. I don't know if you can see it from your perspective, but when Deaver hit the three, uh, it was like at the really at the end of a pretty big run, another run for Navy um, and it was uh, far enough toward the end of the game where it absolutely salted away the uh, the result. And the the ref, the big, tall, bald one, who who actually gave, like, the touchdown signal for the three, like, raised his eyebrows. Like, he was like, oh, my God. Like, this guy just made it. <laughs> it was, yeah. I had already started writing my game story, and I had Peter <laughs> – he was seven for seven from the field. And obviously most of Deaver's shots come from within three foot of the basket. But I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? You're seven for seven from the field and you're going to jack up a three. And lo and behold, he swishes it. <laughs> it was great for sure. Well, uh, Mike, we're looking forward to seeing you. Um, yeah, the great part about the Swing Second Sports podcast is is getting the band back together and seeing you every home game. So we'll look forward to seeing you against Colgate. And uh, as always, thank you for your analysis. Yeah, can't wait, John and the guys. I, I love being on and love talking uh, Navy basketball with you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mike Keery of the Navy basketball broadcast crew. We are going to go to break. And when we come back, Wags and I will take this baby out. This is Swing Second Sports. All right, Navy fans, pull out your iPhones or Androids and take note of these dates. The Army-Navy rivalry will be renewed on the hardwood when the midshipmen host the Black Knights in a basketball doubleheader Saturday, January 22nd in Annapolis. The women will tip off at 11 a.m. in Alumni Hall with the men's following at 1.30. Both contests will feature a halftime performance by the nationally acclaimed Firecrackers Jump Rope Team. Tickets are 20 bucks and available now at NavySports.com. That's Army-Navy Basketball, Saturday, January 22nd at the Naval Academy. Get your tickets today 
at NavySports.com. And while you have your phones out, be sure to mark the date of the 2021 Navy Football Banquet, which is set for Friday, February 11th at Alumni Hall. There will be a cocktail reception at 6 p.m., followed by dinner, and the formal program begins at 7.15. Tickets are also available at NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. All right, awesome conversations with Colonel McDonough and Mike Heary. Um, awesome pot. Uh, congrats to, to Matt Nosita for being drafted. Uh, good luck to Xavier Arline as he looks to represent the Naval Academy playing lacrosse as well. Uh, before we go out, um, just breaking today as we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, Toolman Tim Taylor and the ladies of women's basketball emerged from that ever so tricky 11 a.m. midweek start up in Hamilton, New York. Like, ugh, going to Hamilton is bad enough. And then you're going to play them Wednesday at 11 a.m., probably in front of as many people as were attending the Lafayette Navy men's game the other night. Uh, but congrats to the ladies for winning 65-62, to 62, their second straight really gutty road win after the 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 – like it was it was a total drama fest up in Lewisburg uh, before Navy pulled out a 57-55 uh, victory over Bucknell and now getting a second straight crucial road victory as they look to stay right there in the standings in the Patriot League. Jen Coleman, what can we say, Wags? 23-10, and 10, another double-double. Um, we just need to get this ladies team going at home. They haven't won at home. Uh, in the Patriot League, and that's got to stop if they're going to be relevant and and have a shot of making a tournament, right? Yeah, absolutely, John. I mean, first and foremost, to kind of preview our pod next week, we'll be really delving deep into men's and women's basketball. We're going to talk to Coach DeCellis of men's basketball and a player. We're going to talk to Coach Taylor and I'm sure more than likely Jen Coleman, but it, uh, some player for Navy. But uh, I'm going to give Coach Taylor a lot of credit for keeping Navy competitive. And, you know, things were going the wrong direction uh, with Colby Green leaving the program. Um, you know, there's just you, you started to get concerned as to where the season was going and whether Navy would be able to remain competitive as we got into Patriot League play. And lo and behold, they've been very competitive. They're winning games, as you mentioned. Uh, the last home loss, though, disappointing was down to the wire. Uh, Navy kind of lost that game late in the fourth quarter. So Coach Taylor is doing a good job of making the pieces work, getting the most out of the squad. And, uh, you know, they, they've been better than I anticipated so far in Patriot League play. I'll tell you that, John. Yeah, they just need some help. Uh, Jen Coleman needs some help. I, I applaud Sydney Watts, Llewellyn, uh, Donza. Like, it, they've been – They've been trying to get results from the bench um, and playing a lot of minutes. You know, a lot of these starters averaging 30 plus minutes a game. Uh, they just need to get that depth and they need to start producing at home. Um, right now, you know, the record sitting at five and 10, two and seven at home with a three and three away record. So we, we need the friendly confines of Alumni Hall to be more friendly uh, for the ladies. So coming up, for them after this big cardiac road win up at Colgate, they will be home against BU um, on Saturday at 1 p.m. Please come out 
and check out ladies basketball Saturday at 1 PM in alumni. Um, they'll be there um, over the weekend. The men's team will be away at BU uh, the return game against, you know, again, their, their main competition for the Patriot league. That'll be in Boston on Sunday. But before that, uh, check uh, Twitter and Instagram uh, tomorrow night or as we release this pod tonight, as this comes out on Thursday morning um, against Colgate, 7 p.m. Check it out on uh, Navy Radio with Mike Heary and Pete Medhurst. Watch it on ESPN+. Plus. Um, really two big games against Colgate and BU here for men's basketball. So for Chris Cervello, Ward Carroll, and Bill Wagner, I am John Schofield. What a great pod this week. We'll see you again next week. And we'll see you on Instagram and Twitter tonight for the Navy men's basketball game. This is Sing Second Sports. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.